Well, good morning, Faith Family. Say hello to those uh, at Lakeville and also in our venue. I would invite all of you, if you would, to please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Uh, We'll be skipping around a little bit, but this is where we're going to start. We're in a series called Conflicted. Uh, We're looking at those events that happened around the crucifixion and resurrection from kind of a human lens. What were they struggling with? What were they conflicted about? Uh, We've looked at uh, Thomas. Uh, We've looked at uh, Peter, we've looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this morning we look at another familiar story, uh, another individual that um, uh, we are familiar with, a man by the name of Judas. And so I'm going to invite you and all of our locations to please stand if you're able as we honor the reading of God's Word. Just going to read Luke 22, 1 through 6, but again, we'll we'll move around uh, a lot. So let's look here at verse 1. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which was called the Passover. Uh, the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that is Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. And then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priest and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad And agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Let's pray together. Father, there's a real war taking place spiritually in our lives. And we need this morning to be able to see clearly. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remove the blinders in our life of the attacks, of the temptation, of the things that are thrown at us every day that try to lead us away. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in us in renewing uh, our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we might be uh, guarded, protected to stand firm in the midst of the battle. And uh, I pray that you would do that this morning, all to the glory of one name and one name alone, and that's Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. We need to learn how to slaughter cattle in a more humane way. At least that's what a woman by the name of Temple Grandin believes. Grandin, who is the professor uh, at Colorado State University, is also one of the leading uh, animal behaviorists in the nation. She was the focal point of a national public radio story about a consultation she did with a slaughterhouse in Colorado, a slaughterhouse that was actually uh, one of the leading suppliers of McDonald's, and it was fascinating What they did is they they brought Grandin in to figure out how stressed out their cattle was. Evidently, the calmer the cow, the better the meat. And so they invited her in to do an evaluation, and and she did. She, She came in, and she watched and observed how they would let the cows off of the truck, and they would just hurry and rush out in large groups. She would listen to the cows, try to get a feel for what kind of mood they were in. Okay, that's really bad. That's ter- I am so 
I apologize that I did that, all right? But she would listen to them, and, and it, they were like abnormally loud. Um, she would watch how the ranchers would, would uh, interact with them, and she noticed how they would yell at them and, and just try to hurry them along. And she watched all this, and then she put together her evaluation. And when I heard it, I was fascinated with what she said. She said, rather than rush them off the truck, guide them gently along single file. Don't yell at them. Lead them in silence. What you want to do is make them think that you're just guiding them home. When all the while you're guiding them onto a conveyor and lifting them to their death. She said, the more you keep them relaxed, the less obvious you'll make the process. And the less obvious you make the process, the less they will realize they're being led to slaughter. She said, in fact, most of them can be led to their death without even making a sound. I heard that and thought, that's exactly what our enemy wants to do to us. Faith family, we have an enemy. Do you believe that? That, that, that? that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? That he's the father of lies? That he's the deceiver of the brethren? We have a real enemy and we are in a real war. Do you believe that? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. But listen to me, faith family. That war is so often fought on the battlefield of subtlety. What I mean is Satan doesn't often come at you with 666 tattoos and upside-down crosses. He comes at you with a comfortable suburban life. He comes at you with a church that will tell you what you want to hear. He comes at you with all the promises you ever wanted for your life, all the while gently leading you to your destruction. It isn't obvious. That's why it's deceptive. And all the while leading us to places we never thought we'd go. That's not just what he wants to do to us. It's exactly what he did to Judas. You see, I think when Judas set out to follow Jesus, I don't think he ever thought this is how it would end up. His name has gone down in the history books as the greatest betrayer that ever lived. I don't think that's what he thought his legacy would be, and neither do we. But he was gently guided along to destruction. That's what I want to show you this morning. Before I show you that in Judas's life, let me just say a word about betrayal. Betrayal is one of the most painful, hurtful experiences that you can have in life. Amen? Have you ever been through 
where you've been betrayed, and we see it all around us. You see betrayal in movies. Uh, you see betrayal in literature. Uh, you see it his, uh, historically. You see it in business. You see it in everyday life. It's that backstabbing friend, that unfaithful spouse, the lying boss, the dishonest business partner. I mean, nothing hurts like the hurt of betrayal, right? And there's not a wound that's more deeper than that of betrayal. And why is it? Why does betrayal hurt so much? And then this will set us up for what we're going to see in Judas. The first reason is because betrayal is often sudden. It's often sudden. Look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. Every gospel writer says, and while Jesus was still speaking. So while he's still speaking, boom, there's betrayal. Like, out of nowhere, here comes Judas. And one of the reasons why betrayal is so painful in our life is because it tends to come at a time when we weren't expecting it. You were just going to the office like normal. Uh, you were just coming home early. Uh, you were just meeting, you thought, for coffee, and all of a sudden, boom, the knife enters. And you feel the wound of being betrayed. It's not just often sudden, it's also shocking. That is, it tends to come from people you don't expect that it would come from. Look at verse 47 again. While he was still speaking, uh, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas. Judas is what? One of the twelve? So here's a guy that's followed Jesus for three years. Jesus has invested in him. He was entrusted to oversee ministry funds. He even dipped his bread in the communion wine. And yet here he is giving the kiss of betrayal. See, one of the reasons why betrayal hurts so much is it comes from people you never thought it would come from. I, I can't believe it was that pastor or that parent or that friend. And that's why it hurts so much. It's not just often sudden or shocking, but lastly, and, and I'm not just using this language to be dramatic, but biblical, betrayal is satanic. It is satanic. Look back at chapter 22 and verse 3. Now, I'll unpack this in a few moments. But then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who's one of the twelve. Now, at the heart of betrayal is deception, right? And who is the deceiver of all deceivers? You can talk to me. It's Satan, right? The deceiver of the, of the brethren, the father of lies. You see, God is full of truth. God is faithful. God is honest. God is trustworthy. Therefore, right here, Lakeville venue, betrayal is anti-God. It is anti-God. That's why universally, believer and unbeliever are appalled at the reality of betrayal. So if, if that's why betrayal hurts so much, then how much more so the betrayal of Jesus Christ? I mean, if that's the case just for human beings, then how much more betraying the very Son of God? And that's where your enemy wants to take you. 
So here's what I want to do this morning in the, in the next four hours is, uh, just kidding, I wish. Um, I, want to, I want to pull back the curtain on the strategies your enemy tries to use to lead you to destruction. Like, that'd be a pretty important sermon, right? That might be one we'd want to listen to. Like, what if, what if we could know the strategies our enemy wants to use to do to you what he did to Judas? That is, to lead him to destruction. Here's five things. Write them down. Number one is this. Is Satan wants you affectionately divided. He wants you affectionately divided. That is, he wants your affections split. Let me show you this in the text. Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. Now watch. And they agreed to give him, say it, money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. So Judas betrays Jesus for money, right? Now that begins to give us a little bit of insight. Now add to that, how much was Judas paid in order to betray? Do you remember? 30 pieces of silver. Does anybody know, has anybody ever told you the significance of that uh, monetary value? It's really not a lot of money, but it represents something. 30 pieces of silver was roughly the going rate to purchase a slave. Meaning, in that literal transaction, there's a metaphorical reality taking place, namely, Judas is a slave to something. There is something that has him captured. What is it? Well, we've already seen a glimpse of it, but I want you to look at uh, John chapter 12 to see this even more clear. It is very crystal clear in John's gospel what Judas is enslaved to. Look at John 12 and verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. So this is extremely valuable and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, like picture this, the house is filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now that seems really, really righteous. Like, what a good guy Judas must be until John gives us this insight. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So what is Judas clearly a slave to? He's a slave to money. What he wants more than anything else is monetary gain. Now, now, what does that have to do with the point? What did Jesus say about loving money? Do you remember? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, here it is. No one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lakeville venue, everybody right here. Why does betrayal happen? Why does it happen in a company? Why does it happen in a relationship? Why does it happen in a marriage? Why does it happen with Jesus? Because divided hearts eventually collapse. Divided hearts eventually collapse. You can't serve two masters. Eventually, you will cave from the inside. Think of it this way. Here's a picture of the Teton Dam in southeast Idaho. Maybe some of you have been there. In the summer of 1976, the dam collapsed without any warning at all. Nobody saw it coming. And there was an unbelievable amount of destruction and disaster, both with people and property. But here was the thing, Faith Family. Here was the thing. On the outside, nobody thought there was a problem. Everything looked fine. But on the inside, pressure was building until it finally collapsed. Look at me. You can't serve two masters. Divided hearts eventually collapse. This is why Jesus taught us in the Beatitudes this. Blessed are the what? Pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Do you want to see God? Anybody here want to see God? Anybody like want to be with God? Anybody want to have eternal life with God and see Him and be with Him in His presence? Well, it's only for the pure in heart. Well, then who are the pure in heart? Well, the word pure that's used there, it's not the word for spotless. It's katharos in the Greek. It's where we get the English word catheter. It means that which is free from contamination. Let me explain it this way. If you want to drink pure water, or maybe you want to cook something and you want pure vanilla, or you're looking for like a dog and you want a pure breed, what are you saying? You're not saying, I want perfect water, or I want a perfect dog. What you're saying is, I want something, listen, that's not mixed with anything. I I, I want it to be pure. I don't want it to have contamination. Listen, the pure of heart is the undivided heart. The one that has no other gods before him. Listen, listen, listen. Satan has no problem whatsoever with you wanting Jesus as long as you want a whole bunch of other things equal to or greater than him. Why? Because he knows if he can divide your heart, it will eventually collapse. It's so subtle. It's not a 666 tattoo. It's sure love Jesus and have some other gods on the side, like your marriage or like success or like whatever. Because he knows with that he can get you where you never thought you'd go. Number two, 
He doesn't just want your affections divided. He wants you spiritually deceived. Spiritually deceived. Look at chapter 22 and verse 3 again. Wow. Read this earlier and you were like, man, I hope he explains this one. Then Satan entered into Judas. Like, did that raise any antennas with you? What in the world does that mean that Satan entered into him? Let me ask you this. Show of hands at all of our locations. Show of hands. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, don't give Satan a foothold? Anybody? Yeah, most of the hands, right? That's what's happening here. Let me be very clear on what this means because jokingly, I said four hours. I only wish I had four hours, right? This needs more time, but let me be clear as to what's happening here with Judas, okay? Are you listening? Here it is. Satan wants to take the desires you already have, the desires you already have, deceive you with them to get you to do what you never thought you'd do, which is the very thing he wants done. That was a lot. I'll say it again. He wants to take the desires you already have, deceive you by them, to get you to do what you never thought you'd do, which is the very thing he wants done. Now, let me relate this to Judas. He's taking the desires Judas already has. He can't say, I really wanted to serve Jesus, but the devil made me do it. Why can he not say that? Because I just read John 12 a few moments ago, which was before Luke 22, meaning he already had the desires of greed. He was already a thief. He already wanted money. The devil's not making him do anything he doesn't already want. But he takes those desires and he deceives Judas with them. How do you know that? Because I'm going to show you in just a little bit how Judas never thought the consequences would be that severe. To do the very thing Satan wants done, namely to see Jesus killed. This is so gentle. It's so deceptive. It's, I'm just going to come in, and I'm going to take the thing you already desire, and it may even be a good thing, and I'm going to twist it in such a way as to deceive you and take you somewhere you never thought you'd go, all the while doing the thing I'd love to see happen. Let me show you this in James chapter 1, verse 13, and illustrate it. Lord, speak to us. Help us here. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when what? Watch. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? Death. So when I'm using language of destruction here, I'm not being dramatic. I'm using biblical language. Here's how it happens. Uh, that, that imagery lured away, I completely get that. Do you know why? I love to fish. Any, any, any of y'all like to fish? 
come on, you live in Minnesota. Like, everybody ought to like to fish. What's wrong with you, right? Lured away. You see, I don't think, I'm not an expert in fish brains, um, but I don't think they get up in the morning and say, it's a great day to be hooked. Just, God, thank you for this day. I'm going to go out and be somebody's supper tonight. No, no, they don't think that way, I don't think. Here's what happens. Good fishermen know what fish like to eat. And so fish simply have the desire to eat, but yet good fishermen can make that which is artificial look so real. And not only that, they will hide in what's artificial a hook where it's not seen. And the fish watches and bites. And yet what it doesn't know is the hook's inside And then they're led away. You do realize that's what your enemy's trying to do to you every single day. Taking the desires you already have and trying to entice you away from Jesus Christ. It's just a little money. It's just a little look. Take a longer one. And he's not yelling at you. He's gently guiding you along through deception to a place you never thought you'd go. He wants your affections divided. And he wants you spiritually deceived so that you can't see what's underneath those desires. And then thirdly, he wants you relationally disappointed. He wants you relationally disappointed. Let me show you something else in Judas's life. Look at chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, so he consented and sought an opportunity. You should underline that. Sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Let me read Matthew's account of this uh, because it gives us even more clarity. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14, either on the screen or in your copy of God's Word. It says, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, now watch this, this is big. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Now remember that. What will you give me? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought, there's the phrase again, sought an opportunity to betray him. Here's the point. The natural reading of what's happening in the text is this. Judas is evaluating his situation to find what's best for him. He wants to find the best opportunity. He's asking, what can I get from this? And and that's the thing about Judas is he's always looking for the angle. He's always looking for what's in his best interest. He's not concerned about giving. He's concerned about getting. And you say, what does that have to do with Satan's strategy? Listen to me. Judas's relationship with Jesus is a business transaction. Meaning, follow me, because I'm about to make a very practical point that I think is one of the main reasons many people slip away. Okay, When Judas sees that the stock of Jesus is about to plummet, he sells. 
Why? Because he's always looking for an opportunity. He's always looking for an angle. He's always concerned about what he's going to get. Which means if he doesn't see Jesus as offering him what he wants, then he'll walk away from Jesus. I think this is even um, seen more clearly in John 12 between Judas and Mary. Watch this. Mary breaks the expensive ointment and washes his feet because... She sees Jesus as the reward, whereas Judas is upset because he's looking for a reward. In other words, Mary sees the value of Jesus. Judas is only looking to Jesus to find some value. And so the moment he doesn't get what he thinks he ought to get from Jesus... He's gone. Come here, faith family. I'm convinced. I think I fight this all the time. Of Christians that have a view of Christianity that assumes you're going to get some promises if you follow Jesus in terms of a comfortable life. I, I, I was in with Jesus until the suffering came, but I didn't sign up for suffering. I was in this until I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you didn't give me what I prayed for. But maybe Jesus knows more than you know. It's an idea. Do you see? It's so easy for us to come into this as a business transaction and the moment that we are relationally disappointed with Jesus, we're gone. And Satan laughs all the way. Gently deceiving you into think that this is all about getting a reward from him rather than seeing him as the reward. Number four, he wants you affectionately divided. He wants you spiritually deceived. He wants you relationally disappointed. He wants you asking the question, what am I going to get from this? And number four, this is huge. I might preach on this one. This one's huge. He wants you personally detached. He wants you personally detached. Watch this. I think this is so fascinating. Look back at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And watch what happens in this exchange in the upper room. Listen to what Judas says. This is so important. It says, when it was evening, he's reclined at table with the twelve, and they're eating. And he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another. Now, now remember this. Is it I, what? Lord, is it I, Lord? Now keep reading. He answered, it's he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better that that man have not been born. Now watch verse 25. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? Huh. Is it I, Teacher? 
And he said to him, you have said so. Did, did you see the difference? Please tell me you saw the difference. One says, is it I, Lord? The other one, that is Judas, says, is it I, teacher, rabbi? Meaning, Judas doesn't relate to Jesus as Lord. He relates to him as teacher. Meaning, you can be externally identified with Jesus and internally isolated from Jesus. You can be a part of the crowd and not be converted and my goodness, this is so subtle. It's so gentle. Do you know the way this works in terms of Satan's attack of you? It's, man, I love that you're at church on Sunday. You never thought Satan would say that, but he does. I love that you're here. I'm glad that you got your Bible. That's wonderful. I love that you sing all these songs. Do all that you want as long as it's not real. He would love for you to spend all your life in a religion so that you never have a relationship. And there will be a many in hell that have fallen for that lie. Follow him. Be like in all of him as a great teacher. Investigate him. Study. Read your Bible. Be spiritual. Just don't know him as Lord. And I will lead you to destruction. The enemy is perfectly content with religious people. He just doesn't want you today to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what has led a lot of people to ask, well, was Judas a Christian? And I think the biblical evidence is overwhelmingly no. Authentic faith is persevering faith. And time has a way of exposing whether or not the faith was real. Listen to me, faith family, hear me. Yes, you're going to have ups and downs in the Christian life. Yes, you're going to have seasons of struggle. We looked at Peter last week. But following Jesus is life change for the long haul. You say, well, what about somebody that just believes for a little while? Did you not hear what I just said? Authentic faith is persevering faith. The parable of the soils is very clear. There will be that which grows for a little while, and it will look real on the outside, but give it time. When the thorns come, when the stock plummets, when the heat gets hot, then you'll know. Because authentic faith is persevering faith. Why? Because persevering faith is personal faith. I'll read you this, and it's all I got time to say. 1 John 2, verse 19. I think this is exactly what's happening with Judas. Then they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, when you're not really attached personally to the vine, you eventually dry out. 
Satan wants your affections divided. He wants you spiritually deceived. He wants you relationally disappointed with Jesus. And he wants you personally detached. Have all the religion you want as long as it never becomes real. And then here's the last one. And Lord, I need your help. Satan wants you emotionally despairing. He wants you emotionally despairing. Look at Matthew chapter 27. This will be my last point. Matthew 27 verse 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Huh. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver and the chief priests of the elders, saying, I have sinned. Huh. By betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and hanged himself. It looks as though on the surface Judas repented. But he didn't. And I I plead with you to hear what I'm about to say. Remorse over sin is not the same as repentance from sin. Now hang with me. This is an amazingly deceptive strategy by the evil one. Remorse over your sin is not the same as repentance from sin. Why? Because you can feel sorrow without a Savior. And Satan's perfectly fine with that. He doesn't care if you feel all the sorrow in the world as long as you never experience forgiveness. In fact, he would love for you to experience sorrow. He would love for you to be broken over your sin. He would love for you to cry tears. He'll even provide the tissues as long as you never run to Jesus. Be broken. Be sorrowful. Be upset. Acknowledge that you've sinned. Just don't go to the very one who can actually forgive you of that sin. Isn't that an amazing strategy? It is, if I can get you with the disease of despair long enough, I can convince you, faith family, there's no hope for you. You can't go to Jesus because what you've done... You kiss the man on the cheek. Oh, despair. Oh, be sorrowful. Just don't find a Savior. Now, what I'm about to do, I'm going to do with great sensitivity. And will you please give your pastor some freedom to pastor? Because I know what I'm about to do is going to be difficult for some of you. Um, um, Because there is no doubt that there are some of you here today that you have experienced in your family the pain of suicide. Anybody, you've experienced that, and that is is an unbelievable pain. Some of you, it's family members, some of you, it's friends, and you've experienced that pain. And you need to hear me, what I am about to say, I am only saying as it relates to Judas and Peter. I am not commenting on anybody's personal situation. I simply must 
for the sake of the gospel, show you the difference between Judas and how he dealt with his despair and Peter. And I want to do that with two symbols. One is how Judas ended. The other is how Peter ended. And here's what I want you to understand. Judas thought there was no hope for what he did. Peter found hope in what Jesus did. The good news of the gospel is no one has to hang for their sins because Jesus was hung on the cross for your sins. Betrayers can find hope in the very one they've betrayed. And so I'm pleading with you, and if you've known this pain, I pray that you're giving me the grace to talk about this for this very reason. If you're in despair today because of something you've done or something you're struggling with, do not let Satan convince you there's no hope. There is hope in Jesus. And that's what his strategy will be. He wants you to be sorrowful. He wants you to be despair. But I've got good news, and that is Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, can make it right and can restore you where you need to be. So this battle is real. Do you believe it? The enemy is real. Do you believe it? And what he's trying to do is so subtle. He just wants your affections divided. Hey, love Jesus and a whole bunch of other things too more than him. And spiritually deceived, blinded by the consequences of where your desires can take you relationally disappointed, that is, see Jesus for the reward rather than as the reward. Be personally detached, that is, have all the religion you want, just don't have a relationship. And lastly, emotionally in despair, that is, grieve, but do so without hope. But I'm here to declare to you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'll leave you with this. One of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis is The Screwtape Letters. I've referenced it before. Many of you know it's a fictional book um, about a senior demon uh, who's trying to um, instruct a, a lesser demon in how to tempt. And the uh, goal is to either uh, avoid someone coming to faith or to get them to abandon faith. And they use all kinds of strategies. Now listen, 
One strategy is make them focus on the consequences of obedience rather than actually becoming obedient. Have them focus on the fact that there's plenty of time, no reason to be urgent. Have them focus on social pride, that is, what others will think about them, rather than having a humble, broken spirit. Now listen to this one. Or, tell them that small steps away from God are trivial. Here's the quote. You see, Wormwood, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope. Without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What's he saying? What we need to do is learn how to lead people to spiritual slaughter in a more humane way. We won't run them out of church, we'll just keep them distracted in church. We won't yell at them. We'll just tell them what they want to hear. We won't make them ignore what they've done. We'll just convince them their situation is hopeless. And all the while, we will lead them to slaughter. And most of them won't even make a sound. Let's pray. God, I trust that um, you have lifted the spiritual blinders from our life. The problem with blind spots is we don't know that we have them. The problem with being deceived is we don't often realize it. And so I pray that this morning's message has peeled back some of those blind spots to see the ways we're being attacked in this war how we really do have an enemy and we really are in a war and the ultimate thing he wants to do is our destruction. But again, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So may we today draw near to Christ. May we renew our affection for Christ. May he be the reward, the, the, the greatest prize we could ever have is simply him and him alone. And in that, may we stand firm in the midst of the battle. I trust you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do now in drawing us to yourself and working in us in a way that only you can. There are some here in despair. There are some here that just feel like they've gotten a raw deal in this Christianity thing. Whatever it is, Lord, bring us home. Restore us by grace. In Jesus' name, amen.